Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Associate Pastor Terry File. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. We are uh, starting off, um, I'm going to steal this from you Terry, we're starting off a series today that's our Christmas series and we're just calling it Gifts at, Gifts at Christmas um, and we're, we're launching it uh, knowing that there are, um, that people do all kinds of different things with gifts. How many of you have ever returned a gift? Ever returned a gift? Yeah. Um, don't, don't you love waiting in line to return gifts at, you know, after Christmas? Some of you, anybody currently living with anticipation of a gift? You're thinking, I think I know what I'm getting. I'm really, anybody kind of living with some gift anticipation? We, we live with that. And um, we're going to be looking uh, at the Christmas story uh, this season uh, according to John, the apostle. Now, John has a little bit different tack. You know, Mark kind of skips right over the Christmas story. He kind of jumps right into John the Baptist and um, Matthew is wanting to convince everybody that Jesus is is the coming Messiah and so he uh, gives the genealogy he launches that way um, the gospel writer Luke some of you will remember was a doctor so he gives lots of details and we'll be referring back to Matthew and Luke on this journey but the the gospel writer John comes at this from a, a completely different perspective and so we're going to be looking at uh, uh, the Christmas narrative uh, according to John this year and uh, I hope you'll uh, kind of maybe start reading it. We're going to just look at the first 17 verses over the next few weeks together. So maybe you just want to start reading and, and soaking in on those first 17 verses. This morning Pastor Terry is going to come and he's going to lead us as we think about how do we anticipate Christmas and, and the gifts of Christmas. So Terry, come brother. Thank you. Thank you Joe. Uh... I'm going to do something I don't normally do, and I'm going to sit down for a little bit because I injured myself Wednesday night with our teenagers. I got more intense in the game than they did and ran my knee into the picnic table out front. Uh, so uh, I'm going to just take, take a little pressure off that if y'all are cool with me sitting down with you for a little while. Uh, so I'm grateful to be kind of kicking off this series, uh, Gifts at Christmas, and I love this season, and I'm just going to go ahead and be honest. I began listening to Christmas music this year before Thanksgiving. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, so I, I, I guess I just wanted to get in the Christmas mood a little bit earlier. Actually, I was inspired by my son Jake because he knew the moment and the day that 102.5 started playing it. And so we began doing that in our house. And I remember so many Christmases uh, as a child. Uh, my brother and I, we just could not wait till Christmas morning. and. It just seemed like it was never going to arrive, you know what I'm saying? And so we would, we, it was all around this eagerness to receive a gift or certain gifts we had asked for. And I remember one year, like Ralphie from the Christmas story, I think I was about 11 or so, I had asked for a, a 22 rifle. And, uh, and so on Christmas morning, I opened this long rectangular box and I saw the 22 rifle that I had asked for. And to me, that, that beat the official Red Rider BB gun, right, in, in that moment. And so maybe you're feeling, as Joe said, maybe you're feeling anticipation now and, and, and you've, you remember what I've talked about as a child and some of you are sensing it now and you just can't wait. You're so excited. Because you've either bought the perfect gift or you've asked for the perfect gift and you're living with gift anticipation. We all know that something good, we have something good to look forward to, right? 
What do we have to do, though? It's only December 2nd. What do we have to do? We have to wait, right? We have to, we have to wait until Christmas morning, or some families do, Christmas Eve night. I remember it finally getting to Christmas Eve night, and my brother and I would crawl into bed. And if you're like me, you had a difficult time falling asleep. And eventually you would doze off, but you would, even if it was after one or two in the morning, you'd still wake up extremely early. And what did you have to still do? You had to still wait, right? For us, we had to wait on our parents to get up, which I think they wanted to sleep in. Uh, we're shaking them and everything. Get up, get dressed, which was good and appropriate. And then, but we had to wait till they got their coffee ready and all of that. And we're in there yelling out, Mom, Dad, come on, it's long enough. We've been waiting forever. You know, it's, and when they finally sat down in the living room, you couldn't do it with one of them. They both had to sit down, coffee in hand, game on, right? So, uh, gift anticipation. Today is the first Sunday of Advent. And the word Advent in the dictionary is defined as the arrival of a notable person. Advent for Christians, for us Christ followers, is all about the arrival of the most notable person, Jesus Christ. And so Advent is a season of focusing on the coming of Jesus. When God the Son, the Word, John begins his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So the one from the beginning, the Word, Jesus, entered our world as a helpless baby, born of a virgin, the Virgin Mary, in a manger to be the Savior of all people. So this month, here's what we're going to do. We're going to remember His coming. And we're going to reflect on all of the significance. And I pray and we pray that we will all be changed by it. But if you didn't know this, there's actually a second part to Advent. There is another arrival. One that has not taken place yet. One that we are to be on the lookout for. One that we are to be anticipating because the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return his second coming and this time instead of being a helpless baby he's going to return as the king so what we're going to do this week as we begin Advent I didn't tell Mark on the camera you're going to have to follow me Mark so that this I don't go off the screen on the internet this week we're going to begin by lighting the first candle this is our, our, our Advent wreath we're going to light the first candle in Advent and this is, hope it lights, this is the candle of hope. It's the candle of hope. And as Christ followers, we have Jesus as our hope. It's not a worldly hope. It's not a hope where we, we, we are like, I hope this happens or I hope that happens. No, that's wishful thinking, okay? Instead... Let me wrap your mind around this. Instead, we have a hope that is based on fact and the miraculous. So Jesus not only died and was buried, but three days later, he rose from the dead. And so he came out of the grave, out of the tomb, and if our Savior can come back from the dead after being dead for three days, then he can definitely come back again, and he is coming back again. So as we celebrate this month, we will both remember and anticipate. We will remember his first coming with joy, and we will anticipate his second coming with hope. 
Now, my men's soap group, we meet at Starbucks on Tuesday mornings. We, we just finished working through the book of 1 Thessalonians on Tuesday morning. And one of the things that we saw very clearly is, is as you read 1 Thessalonians, and it gets in the second, uh, the second book as well, literally the, either the last or the second to last verse of every chapter is about the second coming of Jesus. So he writes this to these believers uh, with this, here's how you live in light of his return. And so I just want to challenge you if you're not in a Bible reading plan right now or you just want to just sit down and make a note of it, work through 1 Thessalonians sometime soon. See, in the early church, the Christ followers were so convinced that Jesus was coming back soon, like it could be any minute. It could be like tonight at 10. It could be tomorrow at 11 in the morning. They were so convinced, they were so excited of Jesus' return that they had a greeting that they would use with one another when they encountered one another. Okay, it's kind of like when we do our greetings and we, we come across one another, our greetings are always very spiritual, aren't they? Like, what's up, dude? You know, or, yo, what's, what's, what's happening? What's hanging? You know, kind of thing. Just, or as, as Danielle from our praise team taught us a few weeks ago, she, she teaches at Stahl High School, and she taught us a greeting that she hears all day, every day throughout the school. And it's this, when people encounter one another, students encounter one another, like, sup, bro? Sup, bro? Yeah, so very spiritual. Uh, but when these Christian brothers and sisters back then would see one another, you got to understand this. They would, with, with faith in their eyes and conviction in their hearts, they would declare enthusiastically, Maranatha, or Maranatha, however you want to pronounce it. Maranatha. So we would encounter one another, Maranatha. And maybe you've heard that word before, maybe you've seen it. The first church I went to as a kid from time to time was called Maranatha Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina. Maranatha means this. It means our Lord is coming, or the Lord is coming soon. So when they would greet one another, they, from Christ follower to Christ follower, there was this deep sense of eagerness, expectation, anticipation for this gift. Maranatha, our Lord is coming soon. See, I believe, I believe we must recapture this, this passion. This zeal, this sense of anticipation. I, I just At least I know I do. I need to recapture. The Apostle Paul wrote this, and, and I don't have a specific passage to read from today, like a long passage, so we're going to have a lot of scriptures that are referenced on your outline there, but they're going to kind of come up. But here's what the Apostle Paul said. He, was, he said that there's a crown that is awaiting those who long for his return. So look at this. 2 Timothy 4.8 And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Here's the problem. Many will not receive that crown because they are so in love with the world and they are so enamored by the things of the world that the thirst and hunger for God, the longing and the expectation for his return, anticipation, is not there. They don't have any longing for it. And I'll be, I'll be quite honest, man. There was a time when I prayed against the return of Jesus. 
<laughs> okay. I was a high school student and I wanted to be married when I was early in college. And so I was like, Lord, please don't come back yet. Okay, just give me a good few months of marriage and then you can return in all of your glory. Okay, Lord, so don't come back yet. All right? So uh, <laughs> I know that's kind of funny but, and sad, but, but it's true. As a teenager, I was part of a church. Now, I won't name the church, but I was a part of the church that talked, uh, talked about the end times a lot. It seemed like it was every other week. Uh, and so I remember posters with dragons and beasts on them. I remember like charts that had the end time events. And many pastors, at least back then, I'm not sure about today, believed that there were three ways you could fill up the church for a Sunday morning. Preach on sex, preach on the end times, and speculate whether there will be sex in the end times. And so, so that's just kind of maybe the thinking that was the thinking at our church anyway. So most of the teaching that I heard uh, as a teenager, like every few weeks, was based around what we refer to as the rapture. Okay, and we'll flesh this out in just a second. So it's recorded in 1 Thessalonians uh, 4. Look at these words. Uh, and again, all of the scripture references are on your outline if you want to go back and look at these later. Paul says this, We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. So he's saying this to these believers to encourage them. Look, other people have died already that were Christians. What happens? He says, look, we want you to know this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then, and this is so, so huge, then we will be with the Lord forever. That's awesome. So, what do we do? Encourage each other with these words. I became a Christian when I was uh, the end of my ninth grade year, uh, ninth, seventh grade year, sorry, in May of 1988. And some of you may remember this, but there was a book that was released uh, either early that year or at the end of 1987. And it was entitled, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Happen in 1988. And so the author, I mean, so there was a lot of teaching and okay, kind of, I don't know how, if you ever remember this, but it, the author actually pinpointed three potential days, September 11th, 12th, and 13th of 1988. This is no joke. So I'm a young believer. I mean, I've only been a Christian for like five, four months. And so I remember uh, expecting him to show up on one of those days. And so uh, I was sitting in class. I remember hoping he would come back because I had a math test. And there was a research paper I had not started yet. So I was like, I don't want to have to write this. And so as you can tell, uh, I'm still here. We're still here. Uh, and I'm, this is no joke. The author, and you can, you can Google this later, I can't remember his name, but the author wrote another book entitled 89 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1989, right? So, uh, so I mean, I just, it's, it's there. I mean, it's probably out of print by now, but I, I had these recurring nightmares as a kid that my parents had been raptured. I mean, I, it was so much talking about it, and, and I knew I was a Christian, but it was just kind of like there was so much fear, and I thought I was left behind, and so I would come out of my room at our house, and if I didn't hear anybody, I didn't see any of my family. Maybe they went to Dairy Queen or something without me. I don't know. 
I'd come out, and if I couldn't find anybody, my immediate thought, honestly, was Jesus has come back, my family has been raptured, they've gone up through the ceiling, and uh, I've been left behind. And it's easy to poke fun at that right now. Uh, and I think that many evangelical churches downplay the topic of Jesus' return because they're afraid to look like, maybe, like very fundamentalist or something. But one thing that I believe that our church had right when I was a teenager is this earnest expectation or anticipation of his return. I think it's interesting within the 260 chapters that make up the New Testament. Now, I didn't used to have verses and chapters, but went in there to make it easy for us. Within the 260 chapters of the New Testament, there are 318 references to Jesus' second coming. That means roughly one out of every 13 verses talks about it. So for every prophecy in the Bible that uh, looks for, to Jesus' first advent, his first coming... For every one, there are eight that look forward to his second. We have a whole holiday built around celebrating his first coming, the first advent. But eight times as much is said about his second. So there's some people that call this non-essential, and I'm asking, how can you call a doctrine of the second coming non-essential? It actually keeps everything in balance, so to speak. And so nearly, if you think about it like this, nearly every moral command in the New Testament, like do this, stay away from this, whatever, is tied to the second coming. Why? Because our Lord Jesus is coming again. So this is critical to our faith. And the fact that Jesus could come back any day at any moment, what it should do is it should sober us, not scare us. We have no fear. Ah, oh, man, we have all the hope, right? But it should change us, and it should direct us. There are generally four views about his return, or let me just say the rapture, because I, and I'll say something afterwards with this. Pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and pan-trib. Now there's some other names, uh, post-millennial, pre-millennial, amillennial. Trib stands for the seven-year period of intense tribulation. So let's just say it this way. Pre-trib would be those who believe that Christians are going to be rescued or raptured before the seven-year period of tribulation, before things get bad. Mid-trib says that Christians are going to be rescued in the middle of the tribulation, like halfway through, before it gets really bad. Post-trib would say that there are those who believe that they're rescued after the tribulation. And then pan-trib is those who admit they don't know and they just believe it's going to pan out in the end. Right? So, so some <laughs> I made that one up by the pan-trib. So... So, some people believe that the rapture is the second coming. Most people, I would, I don't know, most people would believe that the rapture, when we meet, when he raptures the church, because we meet the Lord in the air, it's not like he comes down and, and, and settles, we meet the Lord in the air, right? Resurrected bodies. Uh, most believe that that's a precursor to the day of the Lord, his second coming, when he comes and, and we come back with him and he sets up his kingdom and rules and reigns forever. So there are people that, listen, there's a lot of debate and people argue about the details and that's unfortunate and I don't have time anymore today to go in, into any of these deeper. But here's something that I think we can all agree on. We need to be ready. Am I right? We need to be anticipating him. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. I love this. 
The hour of his appearing is not revealed in order that we may always stand on our tiptoes, right? Kind of peeking out the window, so stand on our tiptoes, expecting it to be today. We may be unsure of how the events go down, the order of events. Some people are convinced they have it right. Other people are convinced they have it right. But here's what I think. We all, we all need to recapture a passion, a longing, a yearning for his return. So what do we know for sure? Since, we, uh, since we're approaching this series from the perspective of the Apostle John, I want to give us some facts that he shares in the book of John, First uh, John and Revelation. So we're going to kind of go quick. Uh, I don't know if you'll have time to write these down. If you'll snap a picture of some of these, you can. Uh, but what do we know for certain? And this is not all things. This is just some of the things. First thing we know for certain is this. Jesus is definitely coming back again. He's definitely coming back. Uh, in Revelation 22, uh, Jesus said this. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. To render to every man according to what he has done, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is definitely coming back again. Okay? Second thing is this. Everyone will see him. With the first coming, only a handful noticed. When he comes again, no one's going to miss it. The most epic, the most dramatic the most awe-inspiring event ever will be the second coming of Jesus Christ. Everyone will notice. Nobody's going to miss it. Look at Revelation 1. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him. Look at this. Even those who pierced him. Wow. Third thing is this. We will be given new bodies. Can I get an amen? Amen. My shins are saying, yes. So can I get resurrected bodies and... Uh, I want to challenge you, this is from Paul, go back, I, I think it's up here, go back and uh, make a note of this, read 1 Corinthians 15 later, uh, very specific about what that looks like, okay, and he even talks about in the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet sounds and, and all of that. Next thing is this, he will provide a home for us, we know this for certain, in John 14, Jesus said this, do not let your hearts be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me, my Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. He will provide a home for us. Next thing, he will make all things new. He will, he will set all things right. He will restore everything. He's in the process of restoring things right now. Revelation 21.5 says this, And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. He's going to make all things new. I like this next one. He will destroy Satan, death, and the grave. They won't be obliterated, but I use the word destroy. It's, it, it, you know, they're going to, it's, it's just the suffering. It's just going to take place forever. Revelation 20. And the devil who deceived them, talking about us as believers, the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been. Then they will, there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire as well. 
Next thing, he will set up his kingdom and he will reign forever. So when Jesus came the first time, he came as a helpless baby. When he comes again, he's coming back as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If you want to read more about that, that's Revelation 19, okay? Uh, the first time he came, he was wrapped in these rags and swaddling clothes and put like in a, a manger. When he comes again, not only will everybody see him, he will be dressed in majesty and glory and power like we've never seen before. Uh, the Bible says this, Revelation 11, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign, how long? Forever and ever. There will be no more competing kingdoms. There's only one. Last thing that we know, and there's a lot more, but this is just for this morning. We will be in his presence forever. And sin and pain and sickness and hurt and abuse and violence and disease and trouble and evil and death will be no more. It will be all eliminated. That one in itself is the, some of the greatest hope. Revelation 21, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people <laughs> like never before. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. You talk about hope. You talk about gift anticipation, something that we have so much to look forward to and to, to long for. See, when John or Paul or Peter or even Jesus brought up the second coming, it was never to speculate when the end would specifically be. And when Jesus was here, he even said in Mark, look, I don't even know when the time's going to be. That's while he was here with us, right? So the whole point of them, anyone in Scripture bringing up the second coming is always, please don't miss this, it is always to get us to be passionate about living now, passionate about living here while we wait for his return. So as we live each day here, as we, as Charles Spurgeon said it, stand on our tiptoes, expectant, anticipating him, I believe that that hope that we have, the things that we know that are going to happen, I believe that hope should and can and must change every one of us in at least four ways. Okay, so if you're, I know your outline's blank, but you may want to write these down. They're kind of short, but just, you may want to write these down. This hope needs to change us in at least four ways. First thing is this, spiritual alertness. Spiritual alertness. I know that sounds funny. Uh, but Paul says this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 6 and 8. He says, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be what? Clear-headed. Let us who, who live in the light, that's in Jesus, be clear-headed. I love this. Protected by the armor of faith and love and wearing as our helmet... The confidence of our salvation. Put, like putting the confidence, the hope, the assurance of our salvation. And that's in 1 John 5 as well. So John's talking about putting that on like a helmet to guard our minds. So being alert, staying alert is a very intentional practice. It doesn't happen automatic. We know this. You got 
You got to be intentional with that. Being clear-headed is actually the best way to say this. Why? Well, because our enemy Satan, uh, who's, who's going to be thrown into the lake of fire one day, our enemy Satan now, his, I, I believe that his greatest and most uh, effective strategy is to do whatever it takes to keep our minds and our thoughts and our hearts busy and distracted and cluttered. And the result of that is this. We lose clarity. We lose vision and purpose. What that means is this. We forget why we're here. We forget sometimes who we really are. We forget who God really is. And we forget what's most important. So what happens is, he says, don't be like those who are sleeping. So sleeping kind of just kind of, just kind of drifting through life, so to speak. Over, overwhelmed by so many things, what can happen is we just kind of drift along. And Paul says, like, don't be like those who are sleeping means, here's my, here's my definition of that. It means that people are existing, but they're not truly living. They're existing, but they're not truly living this abundant life that Jesus is talking about. So, uh, and if you read that passage in between some of those verses, Paul says, look, don't be drunk. <laughs> so sober up. So mentally, emotionally, spiritually, be sober in the sense that because Christ is coming again, we need to wake up. And we need to ask God to wake us up. I need to ask God to wake me up. You need to ask God to wake you up. We need to pr regularly pl pr play. pray, Lord, please wake us up and wake up the saints, your saints. I love, as I said, how that piece of armor that guards our minds is the helmet of salvation. It is the confidence, the assurance of salvation in Jesus. So we know who he is. We know who we are in Him. We guard our minds with the truths of God's Word and that helps us stay clear-headed and alert and focused. So that hope that we have gives us spirit. It should change us by giving us more alertness. Second way that this hope changes us is this. You may want to write this down. And it sounds funny. Moral carefulness. Moral carefulness. And some of you are like, wow, that's kind of a strange way to say that. Uh, I say that because if you knew for sure that Jesus was coming back tonight, or we knew for sure that Jesus was coming back tomorrow morning, how different would I, how different would you live till then? So if we knew he's coming back at 10 o'clock tonight, how different would we live? And are we living in a way where we would be happy to see him then? Now, please hear me on this. I don't ask that to make anybody feel guilty. I'm not trying to get us to focus on being good, perfect Christians. No such thing as perfect Christian, right? I'm not talking about behavior modifications. I'm talking about living, it's all about living with purity and integrity. It's all about deciding to live a life of integrity, which means it's integrated. That's a great way to say it. Your soul is integrated. There's not one part of you that's over here doing something completely different, but you are totally integrated. doesn't mean you're perfect. You still sin. You still mess up, but your, your life is integrated, right? So 1 John, he says this in uh, chapter 3. Beloved, that's us. Now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. 
Well, you've got to really wrap your mind around that. We will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. And here it is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him. So hope's not some nebulous thing out there. Our, all, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, right? So our hope is fixed on him. Everyone who has this hope fixed on him does what? Purifies himself, herself, just as he, capital H, Jesus, is pure. So if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of God. You are secure in Him for eternity. And then what that means is we, we together with every other person who is in Christ, in Charleston, in South Carolina, around the world, every, in different countries, Missionaries reaching people in different... Everybody who's called on the name of Christ as Lord and Savior, what that means is we're children of God, but together we are the church, capital C. We are the people of God on earth. And I want to just emphasize this as I, as I push this point out there. We are also called the bride of Christ. And when he comes back, he's coming back for his bride. Tammy and I have been married for over 24 years. And my heart is set on loving her and being faithful to her. If there's one thing I do in this life that I think besides, you know, fulfilling the mission of telling people about Christ, that I want to step into heaven and as that is to be completely and utterly faithful to that lady. Her heart is set on being, loving me and being faithful to me as well. And I know she's chosen that. I've chosen that. So here's the deal. I know you can't control the other person in a situation. But when, when I know she's that way and she knows I'm that way, what that does is that actually drives how we interact with one another. And so our covenant, it's not a commitment, our covenant of faithfulness, here's, here's the way I think about it. It actually frees us up <laughs> to love each other more fully. So the more, I, and she'll be in the second service, so I'll look right at her. But the more, full, the more I love her, the more faithful I am to her. And the more faithful I am to her, the more I love her. In a similar way, we are the bride of Christ. You and I join all believers to make up the bride. So I've got to ask this. When he comes, will he find us faithful? Will he find you? Will he find me? Will he find us devoted? Will he find us pure? Where we are set apart fully for him? Because, because the reason we set ourselves apart for him and purify ourselves is not because it's a duty and it's a rule that we've got to keep or he's going to get mad at us. We're faithful to him and set ourselves fully apart to him. Why? Because we love him with every fiber of our being. And we're grateful. And we have so much to hope for. And we're like, Jesus, here I am. Those types of questions should drive us to be careful. I'm, I'm saying this intentionally. To be careful with the choices we make. You know that sin has ripple effects and consequences. Some people hate the three-letter word sin. But, but here's the deal. Think about it this way. Sin breaks the heart of God because sin breaks people. Let that sink in. It's not because he's just mad at, mad at people. It breaks people. 
It fractures us. And so there's a lot of unnecessary pain and brokenness that can be avoided if we will fix our attention on, on being faithful to the Lord. Because how we live matters. And since we love Him and our hope is fixed on Him, we purify ourselves just as He is pure. We live morally careful. Why? So that we can present ourselves to Him more fully as His bride that is faithful. Third way that this hope must change us is mission urgency. Mission urgency. Think about this. <laughs> Some of you may be thinking about this. Every day you live here is one day closer to eternity. And as Christ followers, His mission is our mission. And that mission is to share the good news of how to have a relationship with Him with as many people as possible. Now, I'm preaching through the choir, so to speak. Most of us could quote at least part of Matthew 28, the Great Commission. We know what we were called to. We know the mission. But here's what I think we desperately need. You and I need to either capture or recapture a deep sense of urgency. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. New American Standard says, be immovable, which I love. Always give yourselves, how? Fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, anything we do for the Lord will last for eternity, right? And so what is his work? It says, give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. What is his work? It is about his glory. It is about expanding the kingdom. There are other ways you can say it. But what is his work? Is it tasks? It's people. A couple years ago, I had an opportunity. I wasn't even going to say this. But a couple years ago, I had an opportunity to preach on what's forever and what's temporary. And I started putting temporary post-it notes on all this stuff. Even on my guitar. <laughs> and I'm going around. And this is temporary. And I started walking out in this crowd. And I started putting post-it notes on people. What's going to last forever? People. And the work of the Lord, people are, is what matters most to God. I mean, His glory does, but people matters, matters most to God. And He desires that every single person will come to know Him. He cares for every man, woman, and child. And so Jesus is returning, and it is going to be closer than we think. He said it, Paul said it, it's going to be like a thief in the night. We need to be standing on our tiptoes, expect, but it's still, for most people, it's going to come unexpectedly, right? And that means that we have limited time. So, think about in your life. There are people that need the Lord. You can't force it. You can't make it to happen. It says, Bible says, no one can come to the Lord unless the Spirit draws them. Holy Spirit draws them. But we have a role to play in that, to be people of peace and to, to listen. So, people need the Lord. And listen, think about it this way. If... If Christ, Jesus, is your hope, and we know He's the only hope, guess what that means? It means that the only hope for the people around us and in their lives is Jesus. So we need to love and care for people as He, do, as he does, and we need to ask God to give us eyes to see. I, I was working on this message, and and I was at Starbucks the other day, and a couple people walked in. I began looking at them. I was like, already starting to judge them. I'm like, wow, you know, by the way they were dressed and all. And I, like the Lord hit me and said, you're not looking at that person the way that I'm looking at that person. And I was like, thank you, God. Thank you for showing me that. 
We need a deep sense of urgency in a heart for people. And we need to continually ask God for this. Not once, continually. God, build in me a passion, a burden, and, and we need to challenge one another. A lot of times in churches we just come, uh, people come and, and sit and listen and we go and we don't, we don't bump, we don't, man the church is, to, is about one anothering, one another. That sounds funny. But to do life together. Jesus is coming back. So we need to challenge one another in this, right? And, and because when we give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, people sharing the good news, there's confidence that everything that we do in that matter lasts for eternity. And that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Here's the fourth thing. The final way that this hope changes us is that it gives us assurance in the struggle. Assurance in the struggle. Life's a struggle right now, isn't it? We live in this waiting period. There's an in-between time between when Jesus inaugurated his kingdom when he first came and when he comes back. So there's this waiting period. And we're part of that waiting period. And in that waiting period, we know this. We struggle. We're tempted. Uh, we have problems. Some we cause. Some we don't cause. We suffer. Bad things happen to good people. Difficulties and pain come out of the blue. Sometimes we get word that we don't want to hear and our Lord Jesus knows this and so he encourages us with these words and I pray this will be encouraging to you John 16 Jesus said I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me peace it is well with my soul peace not Miss America I wish for world peace it is it's a shalom it's like a completeness it's peace goes with hope it's all connected you can have this in me here on earth you will have many many trials and sorrows but take heart because I've overcome the world we have the assurance that, that he is with us now through his Holy Spirit Holy Spirit lives in you as a believer we face problems but we don't face them alone and when the Lord Jesus comes back, here's what's going to happen. The glory of Almighty God will permanently return. And He will make all things right. And he, there will be justice for wrongs done. And He will set up His kingdom. And I'm going to just say this. Everything that you've endured and faced while trusting Him will be rewarded. And I don't know what that looks like. But here's what we know for sure. Sin will be no more. There'll be no more suffering. No more temptation. No more struggle. No more pain. No more bent up, bruised up shins. I'll probably bounce off a picnic table. Right? And just woo! You know, kind of. Uh, there will be no more death. No more sorrow. No more cancer. He will wipe away all tears. And we will be with him for how long? Forever. So we take heart. And 1 Thessalonians tells us we comfort and encourage one another with these truths in the meantime. So let me just ask you this as we get ready to wrap up. Are you ready? Are you ready for his return? Because he's coming. Have you asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior and leader of your life? Not out of fear, but because you recognize that you need him. That he is who he says he is. 
And what he did on the cross and through the resurrection, defeating the power of sin and death, and when he comes back, is going to set everything right. You believe that and you're saying, Jesus, I'm in. I need you. I'm lost. I have sin in my life. It's, it, talk about breaking. This has broken me. If you've never given your life to Christ, I'm going to pray in just a moment and you can and just, just invite him into your life and say, Jesus, I need you. Christ follower, are you yearning for his return? Are you on your tiptoes? New song, we actually wrote a, a song about that years ago. It was little kids in an orphanage and they were on their tiptoes with their nose to the window looking out. They heard noise and they thought, Jesus is here. Are you living on your tiptoes expecting him? We have so much to be thankful for, so much to look forward to. All of our hope is in Jesus. So, here's what happens. We live differently now in light of what's going to take place. I think this is so cool as, as I wrap up. At the very end of the Bible, the Lord Jesus says this. This is like the second to the last verse of the Bible. Revelation 22. He, and that's Jesus, who is faithful, the faithful witness to all these things, says, Yes, I am coming soon. At which we respond, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. What is the Lord saying to you this morning? And what do you need to do about it? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for all that you have shown us this morning through the power of your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that there are things we can know for sure because it's all grounded, all founded upon you. You, Lord Jesus, are our hope. You came the first time as a helpless baby born to die, born to provide a way to have a relationship with you. And one day you're coming back as the King of kings and Lord of lords. I pray, Father, that you would put a yearning inside of us as Christ followers that we would begin to stand tiptoe, not out of fear, not out of worry, but doing what you've called us to do and being who you've called us to be. We are your bride and there are so many people that need you and need the hope that we have. So help us to be urgent. Help us to be alert and clear-headed. Thank you for the assurance that we have, God, when things get tough. We praise you, we worship you for all that we have to look forward to. If you're in here this morning and you have never asked Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life, no pressure, but if you're saying, you know what, I'm ready, I need Jesus, why don't you pray something like this in your heart to him now. It's not the words, it's your heart. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you lived a perfect, sinless life. That you died on the cross willingly. And you were buried, but three days later you rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death. I ask and pray that you would forgive me for that sin that has broken me and broken other people. Cleanse me, forgive me. I trust you now as Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. 
And if you made that decision, I want to challenge you to come find me, come find Pastor Joe, write it on a connection card to let us know you made that decision and we'll follow up with you and, and tell you a little bit more about what that means. And now, Lord, as we come to this time to give back to you what you've blessed us with, may you be honored. May we give generously, sacrificially, so that more and more people can know the hope that we have. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.